Hello, this is Karamjit Singh from Digital News Asia. You're listening to our Tech Talk show only on Leadernomics FM. And today's show, I've got Kieran with me and Zoff. And actually, uh, Kieran is going to start off first with a very interesting story on the value, the strong value proposition of ATMs, you know, within the, the, the financial uh, uh, ecosystem. And you're going to be surprised to hear which country you know, these ATMs are still seeing strong value in. And then after that, Zoff is going to talk about his trip to uh, Australia where Telstar was showing off its 5G prowess and magic that's going to occur. And then I'm going to talk about a telco story too. And unfortunately, we're going to be talking about uh, the failure of the Axiata Telenor merger to go through. And I've got some, I've got an interesting perspective to share on that. But first, uh, Kiran, the mic is yours. So what SoCash essentially does is they allow people like you and me to withdraw cash from convenience stores. So like your regular MyNews, your 7-Elevens. What you can actually do is um, use the SoCash app, get like a QR code, and then you go to the counter and just withdraw cash. So, so you have the app in your phone. Yes. And, and you say, I want to withdraw X money from my bank account. So you, you have to have a bank account of some sort, right? Yes, you do have to have a bank account. So essentially what they are doing is they're replacing ATMs. Okay. And uh, to me, I've, I think it's pretty smart because what they're doing is they're, they're using a technology that's already out there, kind of like Grab. <laughs> Cars have already been around. Taxis have already been around. They just introduced the app. So what SoCash is doing is they're doing kind of the same thing. They're building upon a network that's already there. Um, your convenience stores that are around the corner and so on. Um, and so how it actually works is you don't actually have to have a SoCash account. Mm -hmm. All you need to do is download the app. And this is how it works. It works as a search function. So... I'll just dive into how, how this entire thing works in the first place. It, it basically, um, so how merchants earn money would be you coming in and buying like stuff on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So let's say at the end of the day, they have like 5,000 ringgit. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, they would probably have to take this cash and then go and bank it into their own bank account and deposit it in, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of doing that, what they can do is that pool of money now becomes the cash for withdrawals. So people like you and me can just go there and say, okay, I want to withdraw 50 ringgit, 500 ringgit, and so on. So then this amount that you withdraw becomes the amount that is deposited into the merchant's bank account. Mm -hmm. So it takes away the deposit, the depositing process away from them. Mm -hmm. And then it gives you convenience as well because... So they don't have to handle as much cash and take it physically to the bank. Correct. Although they probably still would have to... Maybe, yeah. So it depends on how much they earn on a daily basis and so on. And then I also asked the question, uh, so I, I, was, I spoke to the CEO and the founder, uh, Hari Sivan, and I asked him, what if there's not enough cash at that point and somebody is trying to withdraw? So he said the platform, the SoCash app works as a search function. What it does is it tells you to put in the amount that you want um, and then it tells you, okay, this is the nearest location to you that has the cash that you can go and just scan the QR code and pick it up. So that's yeah. how it works. So, so the funny thing is, um, on the surface, it sounds like this is a perfect app to be used in a place where there are not a lot of ATMs. Yep. However, they didn't start in some rural outback area, did they? No, they started in Singapore. Yeah, where you would think that there's more than enough, A, there's more than enough access to ATMs and cash machines, and, and B, 
you would think, well, Singaporeans would be used to cashless transactions by now. Yeah. So, so Cash was founded in 2017, and they actually were funded by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. And what they did was they basically used like a data-driven approach to, to go up to the banks and essentially replace the ATM network. So what they do is they give the banks transactional data. For instance, if, if let's say the SoCash, um, SoCash merchant uh, reaches a particular number of transactions at a particular building, then they take this data and they go to the banks and say, look, this is the amount of transactions we have. And then the bank may or may not choose uh, to remove their ATM from the building because so, they can so, just use SoCash service. So this is something that AP, sorry, something that MAS um, sort of endorsed, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like they are okay with seeing banks remove uh, that kind of infrastructure. Yeah, and banks themselves, um, so what Hari said is banks themselves want to get rid of ATMs because it's costly for them. Um, it's costly in terms of the infrastructure itself, the machinery, the maintenance costs, the rental costs of using the ATM space, all that is cost that the bank doesn't want to bear. So getting rid of it is actually like a win-win situation for so he described it as a win-win situation for everyone, essentially, for you yeah. as the consumer, the merchant, and the bank as well. I, I mean, I suppose, I suppose part, part of my, my issue is, mm, it, it, does, it does sound a little bit that if you're a bank that is moving into digital banking, for example, so, the, uh, for example, is, your ATM isn't just used to, used to take out cash. Mm-hmm. There are usually a whole number of other Correct. features available on your ATM. But if you're a bank that's slowly sort of transitioning, and we've had this conversation several times about what does a digital bank really mean, yes. right? But if you're a bank that's moving across to offering services through your mobile phone, for example, then all a lot of these services now are available on your phone. Yeah. And then all you're using the ATM for now is just taking out cash. I mean, did you discuss this kind of... I mean, how does it line up with virtual banks and things like that? So... Um I asked him whether he sees himself as a digital bank. Question: The answer was no. Um, all he, well, also, Cash is doing is offering a cash distribution network. But coming to the um, point about other services that they offer, so they also offer cash deposits, <laughs> cash withdrawals, and then they also do. They're also introducing loan applications. Mm. And this is quite so interesting. So that sounds very much like a bank once you say loans. Yeah, but they're offering what the banks, the loans that the banks give. So cash is I not see. offering the, the loans themselves. So they are basically using the platform to give out uh, bank loans. So they're digitizing the loan application process. Correct. Correct. Which is not very different from like the search platforms that you have out there. Like you have your aggregators, your mm-hmm. loan comparison websites, right? Uh, what they do is the same thing. They give you, they show you what banks offer and then you have the option of applying via the website and so on. But what uh, Hari is saying is that only 20% of people actually go online and search, physically search for like um, loans that they can apply for or loans that are accessible to them. Mm-hmm. The other 80% actually has this... Um, they're unaware of the options that are available to them. So what they're doing is they're using like these convenience stores and so on as a physical touch point. So, well, what you can do at the convenience store is withdraw cash, mm-hmm. but the convenience store also advertises the loan application thing and tells you how convenient it is to apply for the loan. 
and then you just use the app mm-hmm. to apply yeah. for the loan. I mean, my my skepticism is is a little bit on the. Mm, I mean, uh, maybe I don't know whether you. The thing that's unsaid is is that of course, a lot of people who kind of desperately need money and looking for quick small loans, right? Yeah. Uh, let's 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 be honest here. They still turn to these uh, slightly shady money lenders. Um, mm-hmm. Not not the proper ones, but the basically the guys who get very upset if you don't pay back. Mm-hmm. And when in when I talk to these guys, why why do you do this? Why do you borrow money from people who might you know? Let's face it, hurt you <laughs> down the road. Yeah. Um, instead of doing it properly to the bank, their answer is simple: is because it's more convenient and it's faster. I can sort of just get the money straight mm. away. Did you talk about the convenience of? Uh, because they're still subject to how the banks want to give out the loans, right? They're uh, just an intermediary. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. As in the speed of how yeah. fast it can be issued. So I mean, first is the hurdles to jump over to get approval for the loan, but the second is how fast can you get? So we actually didn't dive into that because it's it's kind of a service that's not live yet for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a new thing that they intend to offer. Um, as of now, they're only operational in Singapore, but they are, they recently raised six million uh, US dollars, and they are looking to now expand into Malaysia, Indonesia, and Hong Kong. So that's their immediate target for now um, to increase their network in these countries. And then the loans are something that would, they would probably offer down the road. That's mm-hmm. just. I mean, and, and and since you mentioned expansion, yeah. um, I read that uh, they did not anticipate expansion into Malaysia and Indonesia to be as difficult. Yes. So I think um, what Hari said was there are things to iron out and they expected it to be a lot faster, but there were some challenges that they've had to experience. One being uh, just the process of hiring itself because they are now moving from like a from like a bootstrapped startup kind of environment to like a more professional kind of environment. So they are hiring a lot of like senior managers and so on. So that's taking some time. And then there's just the scale of operations in terms of the size. So where they are used to operate is Singapore, which is small. And then you have uh, Kuala Lumpur, which is, he said, five times the size of Singapore. Mm-hmm. And you have Jakarta, which is like 10 times the size of Singapore. So that's just... So yeah, you, um, I mean, it's just like literally just the physical scope of the number of... of uh, 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 shops they have to deal with, and I think each, each yeah. of these guys needs training as well. And, and probably, so um, he didn't specify exactly what are some of the uh, stumbling blocks or challenges that they have, but uh, he did mention talent as being one of them. And well, he's quite optimistic that they definitely by end of this year, he said in Malaysia. So, to to what extent is SoCash then betting on that? Cash will remain very relevant in people's day to day lives, and to, to and uh, and on on the flip side. Is it perhaps something that he recognizes eventually uh, won't have a place anymore? That he doesn't need to be this intermediary that 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 doles out physical cash. That people will go cashless. Well, he said the talk about uh, being the cashless um, and e-wallets is kind of irrelevant. It was something that he said was not relevant to SoCash at all because it was not his business model. But he did share cash in circulation numbers, he Mm -hmm. said, well, if you look at the cash in circulation numbers, the numbers are actually growing year on year. We're talking about absolute numbers, like how much ringgit value or Singapore dollar value cash? Are we talking about percentage from year to year going up? Percent, uh, okay. So I 
I think what he was talking about was that the percentage that was currently in circulation. Okay. He quoted 7% in Singapore mm-hmm. and 8% in Malaysia. Yeah. So actually, which is surprising because Singapore, you would think Singapore is much more cashless than Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And yet their numbers are very close to Malaysian numbers. Yeah. At least that lends credence to the argument that even though you become more capable of being cashless, it doesn't mean that you become more cashless. Yeah. So he said, another thing that he actually said was that um, I asked him about the government's uh, push towards, you know, building like a more cashless Mm -hmm. economy and so on. And he said, well, if you're looking, all this talk about going cashless is basically people interpreting policies um, kind of wrongly. Really? Yeah. So he said... um, yeah, there's a talk about going cashless and all that, but essentially what the governments are trying to do is they're trying to digitize the economy. But at the same time, cash in circulation is increasing because the governments are printing more and more cash. Mm-hmm. So that's what he said. Mm. All right. Well, I'm sure that's not the last we've heard of SoCash. And, uh, we'll probably catch up with, again, with them again next year, right? Probably once they're in Malaysia, especially. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that now. We're going to take a short break and... Ever wondered what leadership is all about? Is it developed over time? Or are people just born with it? We believe there is a science behind leadership. And we want to help you understand it. Take this journey with us as we hear from renowned leaders from all over the world. Over our range of shows, tackling key spaces in different industries today. Leaderonomics, the science of building leaders. Okay, now after listening about the strong value proposition of cash, we're going to go and talk about how Australia is, uh, you know, moving confidently forward, you know, with Telstra into the 5G world, which promises, you know, uh, autonomous cars and a higher percentage of, I guess, cashless, uh, you know, transactions in society too. So, Zoff? Yeah, uh, so uh, I guess we were lucky enough that Telstra Mm -hmm. invited us to their Telstra Vantage Mm. conference, which is an annual conference. They're they're big annual conference. Uh, uh, Annual means every year, so they did every year. Which city? uh, Well, this one was in Melbourne. Melbourne. I believe it's always in Melbourne. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Melbourne, who is the second best place to live in the world right now, according to us. A poll. Oh, okay. So, if you want to have some fun, yep. ask them why they're not first. <laughs> <laughs> they get very sensitive about quibbling, it. quibbling. Okay. <laughs> no, but it's a really, it's a really nice city. I'll, okay. I'll say that. Um, so, mm. the CEO Andy mm. Penn uh, stepped out on stage and talked about the future of Telstra. Mm. Um, and there is there's a little bit of politics in the background for this okay. because Telstra used to be government. And yeah, of they, course. Well, just like Telecom Malaysia, they were the Telecom Malaysia of Australia. That's correct. right. And then they became private. Yes. And then um, there's this thing called the National Broadband Network. Which yeah, NBN. Yes. Yeah, they had to sell a bunch of assets back to the government. Right? Yes. Um, so, so there was that subtext which I didn't fully understand at first. And then okay. later on when I, when I talked to the other journalists, mm-hmm. I sort of began to understand, all oh, right, okay. this is where the operating is. Now, Telstra is by far the most dominant mm. telco provider in Australia. They are seen as a gorilla, if I can mm, use that word. Really? Yeah? Um, You've got the Singapore uh, you know, invested optus there also, right? You know, the Telstra is big. Mm. But, but with that, and, and I sort of likened them to like Microsoft in their heyday when mm. they were huge yeah, and yeah, everybody yeah. 
almost hated them yes. just because you're yeah. huge. Yeah. And 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 had a monopoly almost. And I actually asked the Telstra staff, "Do you guys look like maybe you're a bit arrogant sometimes?" Mm. He goes, "Yeah, but." I mean, we've earned it. We've earned it, right? <laughs> um, and and so what they put forward mm. uh, this year was there was a lot of talk about 5G. Of course, absolutely. Okay. Um, he he highlighted actually six, three things: he said 5G, IoT, and um, artificial intelligence. Okay. But it was clear that when the conversation goes on and on, actually 5G is the mm. big thing. So right now in Australia, um, there are ten cities where they have 320 mobile sites, and if you know your 5G mobile site, it Its range isn't that much, mm-hmm. but they are the only guys in Australia providing 5G. If you have a 5G capable phone in, in Australia right now, you can use it. If you stand in the right place mm. with the phone at the right angle, <laughs> in the right weather, you can get your your crazy your, high okay, speeds. Okay. Okay. Um, um, uh, but but they're doing it. They're they're they're, they're doing it right. So, so we had a press conference. Mm-hmm. We talked to Andy Penn, uh, the CEO, about uh, about how they plan to implement this 5G. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said, well, okay, there's the there's the uh, consumer side of yeah. things, where the general public, yeah. and then you have the uh, the enterprise side yep. of things, which is the mm-hmm. the companies. Mm-hmm. So, just to get the consumer side out of mm-hmm. the way, and I thought it was quite amusing. Um, I, I sort of said, well, you know, general public doesn't really understand what 5G mm. is. Maybe you have to sell it to them. And he goes, no. no. They're going to get a phone. Mm-hmm. The phone's going to be 5G enabled. Mm-hmm. They're going to want 5G. He <laughs> <laughs> put it as simply as, as that. As simply as that, okay. I mean, I don't know what you think about that, like, Karam. Inspired by Steve Jobs, like, keep it simple for the customer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I think, I think it was rather... Um, he was quite direct in saying he expects the phone companies mm. to tout 5G mm. when they are pushing their latest sure, phones. Sure, interesting, yeah. So it say, makes sense. You buy this phone, yeah. you, this is the best phone, it's got 5G. Consumer goes, what is 5G? Yeah. Well, I don't know, but you can use it on Telstra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can use it on, in, in The in possibilities are only limited by your imagination. And that's right. And the human imagination is limitless. Well, there we go. <laughs> I mean, there we go. I mean, um, if you if you go to uh, the DNA website and look mm-hmm. an article, the, the photo that was chosen to headline this mm-hmm. article is him standing in front of a picture of a man on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> and it was exactly this theme that okay. you're talking about okay. that you know if we if we reach for the stars yeah. you know yeah. we can we can make yeah. it yeah. Yes. we can do yes. amazing things um, so then he talked about the enterprise side of things okay. and I, i thought the enterprise side of things was actually a bit more interesting where he felt where they feel that the drive for demand is going oh, to yeah, come yeah. from even in malaysia i think when when uh, gobin singh dio gave the the halfway report card of the 5g task force mm. He also mentioned that uh, the first use case examples are going to be, you know, with with industry for sure. Mm. Okay, so so one huge driver will be the IoT, uh, Internet of Things. Yeah, right? Okay. So, three point two million IoT devices right now in Australia. Billion, you mean? Yeah. Million, million. million. Oh, only million. Yeah, okay. Million. Okay. Uh, but I think the 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 thing that's interesting <coughs> is that there every day there's another two thousand devices coming oh, on the network. Oh, that's rapid. Okay. And they're currently their network. 
is spread over three and a half million square kilometers. Wow. Which is crazy. Wow, yeah, man. Absolutely crazy. But then, you know, you have these very far out places. Yeah, that exactly. Need, need this sort of access. Exactly. And they handed out some of these devices. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and the guy who was in charge of the IoT devices kept apologizing for them being not sexy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he gave us something that looked like a plastic Clunky. brick. Is like a plastic okay. brick with a solar panel on oh, it. Oh, okay. You have a picture of that? I, okay. I Unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't get a picture, but it really wasn't. It wasn't really yeah. great. It was literally a plastic brick with a okay. solar panel. But it was something that you would put on a container mm-hmm. and it would charge up when it's exposed to the sun. Mm-hmm. And when it's fully charged, oh. it'll last for four months. Four months. And so even oh. if for some reason you did not have sunlight for yeah. four months, yeah. Yeah. it would still Fantastic. report the position yeah. of that thing. Okay. And, and it doesn't just have to be position, right? It can be other things. Oh, yeah, measuring yeah, as well. yeah, Temperature, yeah. Yes. you know, yes. humidity, yeah. things like that. So he, they said, now, currently all, a lot of this is working obvious, obviously on an existing 4G mm-hmm. network. Yeah. But with the greater number of devices coming online, they feel that 5G is just going to sure, be the way to absolutely, go. absolutely. Um, and the other thing they, they, they sort of talked about is, um, I guess it's what they, they, they consider their super high-end use of 5G. Okay. They kept talking about um, mines instead of having workers go down the mines, mm-hmm. you have robots doing oh, the work. Oh, okay, okay. So you have autonomous, independent robots going around in the mine, mm. moving around at speed. And they said, if you want to do it like that, it's going to have to use 5G. Oh, yeah. To get we'll the see what the unions say about that. Like, were, the, were the unions picketing outside, throwing chunks of coal <laughs> no. into the window on your, the, where the press conference was being held? <laughs> no, no, no. It, 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 it uh, didn't okay. say I'm that. not surprised. Okay, but hey, look, uh, you, uh, 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 folks, you know, go and read uh, Zoff's article because it's really interesting to get Telstra's perspective and huge challenges, right? Uh, what, 3.2 2 million square feet? Miles. Uh, uh, square uh, kilometers, miles. right? Uh, oh. Miles? Oh, I think Australia used kilometers. No, kilometers, sorry. Kilometers. Of of land area that they have to cover. So, anyway, with that, we'll just move on to a, a, uh, not not just a 5G story, but a a telco merger story. And this is where last week on Friday, uh, you know, Axiata and Telenor released a press release at the same time saying that uh, due to complexities involved in the proposed transaction, they have mutually agreed to end discussions. But what I found interesting, Zof, and I think listeners out there would also have realized is that both uh, Telenor and Axiata said that they still see value in the, in the merger and that they would like to, you know, maybe revisit it again at some point when the when the situation, no, you know. When the thing uh, was first announced, everyone yes. was so excited about yeah, it. Yeah, of course. I was especially <laughs> excited, right? Say, this is a game changer. Mm. Well, maybe not everyone, but I mean, to be fair, so Axiata's chairman, uh, uh, Ghazali Sheikh, you know, uh, Abdul Khalid also said that while the same thing, right, the board, this is the board realizing the strong strategic rationale of the transaction, but equally aware that the level of complexity, you know, across, you've got nine countries and 14 major entities. Mm. Now, also, you know, there been back, the back talk is that Indonesia is not happy because Norway as a country is a strong proponent of, of you know, uh, uh, reducing uh, uh, dependence and, and usage of palm oil, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 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 products also. And Indonesia, of course, super not happy. Although Telenor has got nothing to do with that, Telenor is a company, you know, that the Norwegian government has a stake also. So their minister, one of the ministers in Indonesia say, hey, what's going on here? So if it had come to that, maybe something would have happened. And then, of course, in Malaysia then, you're looking at the fact that you've got you've got you've got Cellcom and then you've got DG. So, you know, one is owned by a, a Western organization and very, very much more 
uh, 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 hard, you know, uh, KPI management, you know, mm. uh, uh, benchmark performance based. Whereas Cellcom has made a lot of strides in that, but it's still a Malaysian company, you know, with Malaysian culture, you know, management based or so. And to be fair, Cellcom in 2015 started out the year with about 4,000 headcount. They are now down on their own to about 27. So when you hear this talk about worried about, uh, you know, uh, staff being cut, actually that was not the case here. The biggest case, the backstory that, that no one is able to talk about is that you've got a, a and because Telenor is going to be, the, the Telenor has said that they will appoint the CEO of the merged uh, two opcos, right? The chairman can be from, uh, Axiata will choose, but the operational person leadership, you know, will be driven by Telenor. And there was a fear that, you know, with, with higher levels of, 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 of expectations, uh, you know, from staff, that the Axiata, that the Cellcom, you know, uh, level of, 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 of talent there, would maybe be struggle would struggle to meet the, the expectations. So, but, but, and then what happens then is they will be asked to leave. Maybe not right away, but eventually. So that was the concern at at a bigger at a political level also. Not so much job loss, but what starts happening. You know, once they merge together. Because, you know, you've got 2007 and uh, DG is about 1007. Uh, incredible. So lean they are. So you've got about 4,000 plus people coming together. And, you know, you're going to eventually right size yourself too. So there was that fear. And then, of course, then you've got with Cellcom, remember all the vendor relationships are all, you know, there's a strong Bumiputra, uh, you know, bent there. How are they going to cope when, when that goes away and we say we're going to do merch and look for the best? So there was some logistic, uh, some realistic fears about what's going to happen down the road, not immediately. And that made some parties fearful from what I've been made to understand. And that's why they said, let's not do the deal. Although Plus Plus would have been fantastic for Malaysia. Remember, nobody talks about it. They were going to have that global innovation center based out of KL. That would have been an amazing thing to have. I know a lot of super smart people coming here, engaging with our universities, with industry. And you've got all the latest and, and, and you know, uh, out of the box thinking around the digital economy of the future, you know, powered by 5G. So I think it is a huge opportunity lost by Malaysia just because of some some fear that, you know, uh, Cellcom cannot, you know, uh, uh, you know, live up to the new bar that's going to be set. And I think that's really sad. I mean, yeah, you, you, you summarized it that Last part, I agree with you. I mean, there's this idea that you're, you're, it's almost like this world-class partners coming yes, to you yeah. and as part of their deal, they said, you have to perform at the world-class yeah, yeah, level yeah, too, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is completely reasonable. Of course, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't see what's wrong with yes, that. Yes. And I thought, surely, surely the excitement would have been, hey, we're going to be able to lift ourselves. Yeah, we're yeah, going to be able to do things yeah. that we haven't been able to do before. Yeah. We're going to learn how to operate at this level. Yeah. But that's not what it sounds like. No, no, I mean, there is fear because there, not everybody is in these companies, you know, not everyone and even on DG side, maybe not everybody is tier one talent, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. And But, you know, when you merge together then and you, you look at it, you have, uh, and they promised there was ex very, very minimal, you know, uh, 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 you know uh, job losses in the very beginning. Very, very minimal. I'm talking about tiny, tiny percentage, right? Uh, and that was not uh, the fear at all. It's just the fear ongoing, you know, once they start working and, you know, after a year, after two years, hey, you know, we need to right size ourselves. The fear was there. La. But I'm, I'm repeating myself, we've said that. So I'm, I'm going to write a commentary about this, so look out for that. Uh, and you know, with that, we've got to go. We hope the weather clears by the time you're listening to this. And uh, we look forward to uh, sharing more interesting insight on our uh, Malaysia's tech and digital economy with you two weeks from now. You've been listening to Leadernomics FM, the science of building leaders.